when you normalize the idea that monogamy is correct, monogamy is the only secure way to be connected to somebody, you also, by virtue of normalizing that, stigmatize other things. So it is unsafe and incorrect and immoral to be non-monogamous. <laughs> say welcome back to the poly podcast anymore because it's the same every episode so changing it up i'm just gonna say hello the end i mean <laughs> presumably everyone knows what they're listening to because well, they've so. clicked like yeah. the poly podcast yeah. there's a cute picture of us like you know yeah they know they know what it's they about. know um but yeah. hi welcome. Yeah, welcome welcome back yeah should we dive straight into some housekeeping yes let's do it lots of exciting things that we've and also today's episode's like super interesting and i just love our guest today Romo, which is amazing. So I'm really excited just to to run through this, and then we can just get straight into the episode. See, really, I, I feel like that's redundant too, because you know we always have great guests. Yeah, that's and we're true. always really super interesting. And I'm always excited <laughs> to to share our like interviews with the world, basically. But yeah. I mean, it's good juju, so it can't hurt to put it out in the world. That's true. Can it? Um. So, uh, housekeeping parish notices, as I said last time, <laughs> we have been on. Two podcasts since the last episode. We are the well, two episodes of of us with other podcasts have been released since we released our last episode. So the first one is Nope, We're Not Monogamous with Alicia Payne. It is a, an episode where we just talk about polyamory stereotypes, how we've experienced them, and how we navigate the world as and move through the world as a non-monogamous couple. And so that was really interesting. As we've said before, we've had Alicia on this show and and she's just such a light and a brilliant mm. person to speak with. So we're really thrilled to go on her show. So definitely go and check that out. And the second one is uh, the Pineapple Express podcast, which is... It's with- not about the hit movie with uh, Seth Rogen and James Franco from 2007. It's about something completely different. Is there any movie called The Pineapple Express? You, d- you don't know about the cult classic that is The Pineapple Express? No. Wow. But we are planning maybe a movie night tonight, so maybe we'll have to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe my education I mean, will have to it's continue. To watch James Franco movies these days, but, yes. You know. um, but moving swiftly along from that, the Pineapple Express podcast hosted by Kylie, and she it is a podcast for swingers. It's a swingers podcast, obviously by the Pineapple Express reference there, and um, yeah, we went on, and she wanted to talk to us about polyamory um, and and how that fits into the non-monogamy world and how that is different from swinging. And as I said, her audience is mainly swinger audience. And it was just really, really enjoyable to go on and talk about our experience and also learn a little bit more about the swinger experience, which mm-hmm. is something that Rich and I continue to develop and learn about. So that was really, really exciting. And we hope to have her on our show soon and to bring you guys a little bit more content about swinging specifically. So uh, rest assured we're working on that and hopefully we'll have something for you guys very, very soon um, about that space. But again, a really interesting and enjoyable discussion. Uh, we will link 
all of those links to the show episodes and stuff. Someone I used to work with used to call it a link party, like at the end of a document and have like link party. Yep. And it was just like all the links that you needed. We've got a link tree now. So we'll do a link party. Link, a link, yeah, link party. And it'll probably be in the, in notes, the link tree. And the link tree as well. We've got all the link things going, you guys. So we'll be linking you up. But yeah, it's been really wonderful. And just a big thank you to both Kylie and Alicia for having us on and, um, and being on with us. And being on with us. Um, hopefully Kylie in the future. And then, yeah, just really nice to build community and learn more about non-monogamy as a whole. So a big thank you to them and definitely go and check out their shows as well. Yeah. Well, from one from one friend of the podcast to, to well, from two friends of the podcast to another one. A fop. Uh, a fop. Friend of the podcast. Um, hasn't been on the show yet, but is due to be on. Brett. Chamberlain. Bit of, bit of fun teasers and stuff with everyone <laughs> at the moment. Yeah, Brett is the uh, one of the founders yep. of Open, which is the organization for polyamory, polyamory and, and ethical, ethical non-monogamy. non-monogamy. Don't know why we said that at the same time. That was but. cute. <laughs> uh, basically, anyone that watches Riverdale will no doubt be aware that it has, I think it's completely ended. I'm not sure. We, we haven't watched it, but we've watched the sort of end the little bit of the end of the it is the final it like it was it, it was like the, yeah, the was like series finale like series, the, whole the whole finish yeah, sort of wrap up vibe um, yeah basically for some reason they decided that it would be a really fun twist to reveal that they'd been in a polyamorous sort of relationship the whole time and or for like a year or something um, but anyway uh, the point of why we're talking about this because uh, Brett from from open has responded to this sort of portrayal um and it's not great well it's just <laughs> it's a bit of a kind of let's use this as a shocking twist rather than as an opportunity to you know give a representation you know good representation to mm-hmm. uh, polyamorous mm-hmm. yep. or non-monogamy yep um so uh i'll, I'll read the statement so the open you know, statement yeah because yeah. um, brett was um in quoted in articles and yeah it, it was nice to to see that He'd been contacted for comment about these things, yeah. but they've also released an official statement. So, uh, the statement is as follows: It's tempting to celebrate every portrayal of non-monogamy in popular media. After all, non-monogamous families and relationships are underrepresented and often misunderstood in our culture and the media, uh, despite representing about five percent of American adults. Mm. That said. It's frustrating that Riverdale used its character's non-monogamous relationship as a shocking twist rather than engaging with authentic portrayal of non-monogamy as simply being part of people's identities. We didn't see or hear anything about why these characters practice non-monogamy, what it means for them, the substance of their relationship agreements and communication practices, or any of the other underlying motivations and work that makes relationships of any type function. Mic drop. Oh, well done. Yeah. It's, and this is so, and this is part of why it is so important to have organizations like Open because, and they are obviously at the forefront of building representation, but critically, I would say meaningful representation. Yes. And it's just as someone, both of us who are in non-monogamous relationships, I think I can speak for both of us when I say it is really nice that there is an organization that is vocal and active and that they've put out this statement and it sort of corrects what, yeah. you know, the, the, the wider public perception. And it seems as well from gauging the reaction from viewers 
uh, that this didn't it felt like it was very much like a oh let's just throw this in for the for the shit you know for the fun of it or whatever because i think the, the word that was used a lot was random mm-hmm. like it feels random like it yeah. doesn't feel like there's any need for it it doesn't feel authentic to the characters once again i haven't watched it so i can't i can't say that i'm just regurgitating other people you know actual viewers comments and if you know you peel back the the subtext if you will and you can kind of see that this isn't really this isn't really uh helping anyone it's not really it's not really contributing to the discourse or mm-hmm. or really um as you as you said like it's not providing any meaningful representation. So what really is the point in that? 100%. It's lazy. Yeah, it, yeah. it feels a bit like that. And it's it's just another a classic. And queer communities have seen this a lot yeah, over time. Say, it's a bit like I the mean, 90s and, you know, and, and gay men always being you know, into fashion and stuff. It's, like, it's just like, oh, let's just tick a box and throw in the usual, you know, the usual kind of cliches well yeah it's like shrouded in you know stereotypical behavior but i mean i think also you know what i was gonna say was that queer communities have experienced this a lot and to the to the point that there is a term for this it's queer baiting where (laughs) you where it's like you're teasing a potential queer relationship Mm. to get people interested in it to you know make people kind of talk about it because it's like a juicy subject when it's Mm. like just one element of people's identities. Mm -hmm. And I don't really know. I mean, we've had discussions on this podcast many times before about whether polyamory is queer and we've shared our thoughts on that. So I don't need to go into that, but there is a parallel that you can draw between that where where, and there's been other examples of this recently where we have seen polyamorous relationships being represented as either an afterthought or in this case on Riverdale as some juicy spicy reveal at the end that it's like oh some wild reveal and it's like okay so they were all in a relationship together I mean I don't understand how that's a twist either like well that's the point isn't it it's just oh this here's something about these characters that you didn't know okay but how is that relevant to the story or any, anything else? Or them as people or, and as they say, Open says in that statement, we get no information about why they're doing what they're, why they were in that relationship, why it was relevant. There was, there's no additional information. And mm. um, yeah, I mean, I just think it's a real shame because at the moment it feels like it's a little bit just um, gratuitous. Yeah. yeah. And again, back to that open statement about, you know, we shouldn't have to just celebrate every representation of something because it's underrepresented. Like, nah, sorry, bro, no. not into it. We don't, we're not out here. We, of course, we're going to continue fighting for representation, but if it's not meaningful and it's not realistic representation, then I don't want it, you mm. know? And this is something that minorities across the board have talked about ad nauseum for decades hundreds of years like this is not a new problem Mm -hmm. but i think it is important for us to just talk about it and address it you know and yeah Yeah. i'm just glad you brought it up yeah totally i think um the director taika watiti uh summed up the whole representation thing really really well when it comes to any sort of representation he was asked you know well i don't i can't remember what he was asked but uh he said something along the lines of you know do i want 
um, Polynesian people to be in every single movie? No. Do I want them to be in every single movie when when it matters and when it where it should be and and where their story or their or that aspect of their identity is relevant to the story and what's going like? Yes, like that's the point, and <laughs> yeah. I want them to be able to tell their own stories. And it's exactly the same with any other kind of minority group or you know yeah any kind of identifying uh aspect of someone that needs to be authentic it can't you shouldn't just do it for the sake of doing it and you shouldn't force it either it's stupid i mean podcast favorite daniel craig Mm -hmm. and by podcast favorite i mean between the two of us the podcast host (laughs) favorite when he had finished filming that last Bond film and there's all this discussion about should there be a female Bond and he said, why do we need to have women doing a role that was like traditionally men for, for men? Why can't we just write new roles and yeah. better roles for women? And of course, I'm not saying that like, it's like when we had the female Doctor Who, like there are examples of this being really pioneering. That makes sense. And if there was a female James Bond, like I would be, I'd support it because like, great, we're getting women in, in leading roles. But I agree with Daniel Craig in that, Let's just write new and better roles and series and sagas and whatever for women. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with this. Let's not throw on polyamory in the last episode or however, like, you know, last episode just to, you know, oh, we're edgy. We're polyamorous now. It's like, mm, well, how about we just write a series around a polyamorous or a non-monogamous group of people? Mm -hmm. Like, let's not just throw it in gratuitously for no reason. Let's like do what, da- what would Daniel do? <laughs> Daniel would say, write things for non-monogamous people. What would Taika do? He would say, let's just let polyamorous people tell their own stories. Yeah. And, and, so, and, and, and if you're not, uh, then be, then support them in, in, in their, uh, you know, endeavors mm-hmm. to do that. hundred percent or engage with, Organizations like Open yeah. and work out what can be done. Yeah. If you're genuinely interested in representing these stories, like do it the right way. Yeah. Because we as consumers, especially younger people who are more aware of sexuality, more aware, like grown up in the world of social media and are getting better at working out what is appropriate and what isn't, in terms of representation and things, obviously there's room for improvement. Don't at me in the comments, but like there's always room for improvement, but it's just not going to fly. And frankly, I don't think it's ever really flown. It's just that now we have more of an avenue to make our personal, our voices and our personal thoughts be heard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. On that note. So then, so yes. We've got a awesome guest. You just told me not to say that because <laughs> you just said to me, oh, well, that's not really relevant to say anymore, is it, babe? Like, not not seven minutes ago. Yeah, but uh, anyway, um, <laughs> we've got a guest today who, it is needless to say, is amazing because all our guests are amazing. <laughs> we, wouldn't, we wouldn't pick shit guests, would we? Okay. Anyway, I think that... We should just take a break now. Yeah, I need coffee. Let's go get coffee. And then when we come back, we'll be energized. And then we can speak to Row. Yes. Yes. All right, then. All right. In a bit. (laughs) 
thrilled to welcome today's guest to the show. They're the person behind the hugely popular Instagram and other social media accounts, unapologetically. They are also a coach and a psychotherapist in training who is pro-personal growth and anti-monogamy by default. We are so excited to welcome to the show, Ro Moed. Woo! Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to speak to you both. So we're just pumped. We're so excited. Yes, we've been waiting, uh, yeah, waiting impatiently for this one. Um, But no, thank you so much for joining us and giving us some of your time. Um, We appreciate it. Uh, We know that you're a busy, busy human being. So thanks for carving out the time for us. Um, I guess to start with, you know, you've said to us before that in in our previous call that you're, you're, you're a coach and you almost exclusively now in your practice, like work with polyamorous people or people who are interested in non-monogamy in some way and you've also written extensively on the topic as we can see from your social media and and, and other things as well so I mean just to start could you tell us how you came to work in this area Um, what led you to it well I do identify as polyamorous myself and also a relationship anarchist and I'm happy to explain that term if it hasn't come up on your podcast already um, I don't know if relationship anarchy has actually. Yeah, we'd so, love actually. Yeah, if you could. Yeah, we've had that. solo polyamory, and we've had you know a few other kind of <clears throat> things that would fall under, uh, would be like the umbrella, um, more of an umbrella term, but not an- uh, relationship anarchy. So yeah, maybe that'd be a good one to expand on a little bit. Okay, sure. And then I'll try and remember the other question. <laughs> I'm sure you'll remind me if I can't. That's um, fine. Yeah. So relationship anarchy, it sounds kind of scary. It sounds chaotic because I think people associate anarchy with chaos. That's one meaning of anarchy, I suppose. But if you look at the root of the word, it literally means without hierarchy. So relationship anarchy, um, one of the key points to consider is that relationships are not um, ranked in in any particular way. I mean, the typical belief in society is that romantic and sexual relationships are ranked higher than friendships. You know, you put your partner first. Um, relationship, relationship anarchy, excuse me, says the opposite, that, you know, everybody is equally important and you get to decide, you know, where you want to put your energy, not some social norm. So that's one aspect. And then the other important aspect of relationship anarchy is the customization. Um, element so you fully customize every relationship you're in according to what works for the people in it and not according to what society says that type of relationship should look like so you know you might have friends but you're cuddly with them and maybe some people traditionally would think that's weird you don't cuddle your friends you know but relationship anarchy says why not why can't I have somebody where I explore kink with them but nothing else or uh, someone where I work with them and we're romantically involved, but not sexually involved. Like that sounds mind bending to a lot of people, but it's totally possible. Um, So that's what relationship anarchy is. I am a relationship anarchist. And within that, I also believe that, you know, uh, speaking of customization, that any relationship has the potential to have a romantic or sexual element to it. So that's why I'm also polyamorous within that umbrella label of relationship anarchist. And um, when I found these terms and realized that they applied to me and that, you know, they kind of, they they explained who I was and that this was not something unusual, um, I started posting about it online, thinking people need to know more about this. It needs to be more mainstream because I went most of my life not knowing that these things were possible so I wanted to post about it online spread awareness of it and as I was doing that I realized that there really isn't a lot of support out there for people who identify this way 
a lot of people, you know, most people's friends are monogamous. And so you talk to them about your relationships and they just can't really get it. Like much as they might try, a lot of people are very well-intentioned. They will accidentally say these microaggressions like, you know, or maybe you should just go back to monogamy if polyamory is so hard as if monogamy is not hard too sometimes. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, so yeah. <laughs> um, I just figured that there needs to be support for people out there who um, identify this way. And so I trained as a coach and now I'm training as a therapist, as you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. And it's, um, I saw, you know, microaggressions absolutely are something that we all come across when we're, you know, in this style or how, whether we identify this way, whether it's uh, yeah, an identity or choice. That's something but we discuss a lot, yeah. isn't it? Just in general, yeah. in, our, in our lives. So, so it's it's just so important to have, and obviously, like we opened our relationship, so it's it's so important to have those resources that are still, in many cases, few and far between. So it's great that you know there's there's that that you can go yeah. and have that. Yeah. Um, um, well, we, I mean, we've um, just moving 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 on. Um, we've <laughs> seen um, on social media you you say um, quite quite often that you don't think monogamy is always consensual. Um, uh, and this is, you know, this has come from people um, saying that they're fine with non-monogamy as long as it's consensual. So why why don't you think monogamy is always consensual? That's something that was it's probably quite an alien idea to some some of our listeners, and, and certainly people that maybe aren't inclined to listen to our podcast would would recoil at such a uh, you know a statement. So yeah, in, in, it's an interesting one, and I'd, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to be clear, first of all, that I am not here to persuade anyone to be polyamorous. That is not my agenda. Mm. Um, All I'm aiming to do is to raise awareness that there are options. And that's why I believe monogamy is often not consensual, because consent must be freely given, informed and unambiguous. But, you know, it's not informed because most people are not presented with any other viable options. They don't know that other options exist, so they are not informed. It's not freely given because you face heavy stigma and even discrimination for um, pursuing non-monogamous relationships. And it's not unambiguous because people assume a lot of things about how monogamous relationships are supposed to look rather than actually um, having overt conversations about it. So when you say, yes, I'm in a monogamous relationship, you're not actually consenting to what that specifically involves. Um, And so that's why I feel that, you know, it's not consensual. And there are absolutely people who who are by orientation monogamous. They do not experience attraction or romantic love for more than one person at a time. But I would say the statistics are pretty damning when we look at how much infidelity happens. A lot of people are somewhere on that spectrum, right? Yeah. So, yeah. 100%. Yeah, it's so true. and I think, as you know, as you say, it's a spectrum. And I really love thinking about like relationship orientations as that way, um, just because I think it just highlights how different people are and, and how diverse human relationships can be. And I think when you think about it that way, it, it really opens doors. Um, I mean, it certainly has for me since we've opened our relationship, you know. Um, yeah. And kind of, sorry, go on. But yeah, like people are not really being encouraged to think about what they want. And there really is such a broad spectrum of ways that relationships can look. So yes, I just wanted to really vehemently agree with what you said there, Siobhan. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, thank you. That That's validating. I mean, you know, kind of on that that subject of, of sort of the ways that people have 
relationships and how they can be incredibly different. Um, they also can evolve and change in different ways. And I love that you said, Reese, just at the top of that answer, that you're not here to convince anyone to be polyamorous. Um, we want to talk to you a little bit today about toxic monogamy. Um, and it's not because we think that all monogamy is toxic and that, you know, if you're monogamous, then you're doing something wrong. Like that's not what we think at all when we're talking about this topic or when we're doing this podcast. Um, but we do think that some of the traits in monogamy can easily become toxic when not evaluated um, or practiced properly, right? And like this can impact people in all kinds of relationships. And some of the reasons we think that this can happen is because in the Western world, we've grown up with this structure that tells us that like one person that's um, – it's one person that you're going to find that's monogamous, um, usually opposite sex, and that relationship should be for life. I'm like, that's the ideal. And like, that's what we should all be aiming for. Um, and these structures, no matter what kind of relationship you have, always impact the approach that you have um, with other people, with the connections, your personal desires. So like before we get into specifics and like maybe look at some of like, you know, little categories or things where quote unquote toxic monogamy can happen we'd love to hear like from you how this idea might present in your work or, or how the ideas um, of how relationships are quote quote unquote supposed to be um can be kind of counterproductive to how people like when people are trying to find their authentic selves or trying to work out how to express themselves authentically like, what experience do you have with that um, well all my clients um, <laughs> so, uh, I mean just on the topic of toxic monogamy for a second um, I feel like it's a term that's often misunderstood so I mm. think it's really good that you explained it and it's un misunderstood in the same way that toxic masculinity is misunderstood that term does not mean that masculinity itself is toxic it means that there are certain um, ways of behaving and beliefs which are harmful not just to people who embody masculinity but to everyone around them and so that's what we mean when we say toxic monogamy too that it's, it's about like how it presents rather than rather than the the thing itself is that yes. fair to say yeah. Mm. yeah monogamy at its core is agreeing to have an exclusive romantic and sexual connection that's not what we're not referring to that, that yeah. that's just yeah. that's what is. Um, <laughs> but when it becomes toxic is when well I mean what does toxic mean it's it means it's poisonous it means it's harmful um and like some poisons I guess it's kind of hard to detect it's just in there doing mm -hmm. damage and you don't really know like how to trace it mm. and so where it becomes toxic is when we believe that you should be in a monogamous relationship so mononormativity is a term people might have heard, heard that's what it means like normalizing the idea that she'd be in a monogamous relationship you should be in a romantic relationship. That's a matter of normativity, more jargon. Um, <laughs> for the jargon heads out there. Um, and, um, and that there are all these unusual beliefs that go along with it. Because when you normalize the idea that monogamy is correct, monogamy is the only secure way to be connected to somebody, you also by virtue of normalizing that stigmatize other things so it is unsafe and incorrect and immoral to be non-monogamous 
Um, so that's yeah. part of why it's toxic. It means that it removes people's options by stigmatizing anything else. And then it has all sorts of like unhelpful, yeah, binary yeah. thinking. Yeah. Well, and all sorts of unhelpful beliefs as well, which I'm sure we'll get onto. But yeah, I guess that's what I've got to say on toxic monogamy. And you ask me how it presents in my work. I mean, <laughs> um, I don't really know where to begin. Uh, so, so, <laughs> like, so many people come to me at all stages of life saying like i didn't know this was possible i didn't know that mm. i am normal that i'm okay that i'm not a bad person for being yeah. attracted to others and many of them have not cheated on their partners they've been faithful they've respected the rules but internally have been just suffering their whole lives thinking that there's something wrong with them wow i mean that's that's i mean that's basically what i what i sort of experienced to to some extent, um, I mean, and, and also, obviously, I won't name names, but we had a re- we had a really nice uh, email, uh, no, mes- a message. Sorry, we had a really nice message from um, a listener uh, who described exactly what you're think what you're saying as well. And 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 it wasn't until they listened to that our first episode where we talked about it as an orientation and we talked about it like it's a normal thing that this, you know this person was suffering until they kind of had that that exposure even just exposure to the vocabulary and exposure to that that sort of validating language and you know the way people are talking about it as a normal thing as something that it's totally fine Mm. if that's who you are um yeah people people suffer through it and i guess it's not all that different from from you know sexuality in that respect people would have felt the same sort of way there's something wrong with them even today people feel they need to go to conversion therapy and stuff like that it's yeah it's 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 empowering when you when you have the 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 tools i guess as well Mm. that's kind of yeah yeah and i think as well what you said ro about people not even knowing it's an option like going oh my gosh wait this is a thing that like we've had some guests that we've recorded with recently that have you know had the similar experience where they were monogamous their whole lives and then said hang on people do this and like (laughs) didn't realize that that was an option and it's so crazy to me to think that there's like a whole element of like possible human experience that is some it's like a conspiracy like somehow (laughs) people don't know about it and Although it's kind of a fringe thing and it's so it can be so accessible and it can be so fulfilling. Um, so it's just that's also wild to me. Yeah. And when, and when you also just like think about it in terms of the like, other occurrences of monogamy in, um, in nature, for example, are so rare. I mean, I don't there's often a misconception that swans mate for life. Apparently that's not actually true. And like things like that, <laughs> like a lot of the examples that people give aren't actually examples of monogamy because it's a misconception. And yeah, like why, why is it so mind boggling to people that, that it may not necessarily be natural for a lot of, for a lot of people at least to b- just be with one person their entire life or, you know, for as m- much as their life, life as possible. And it's well, kind of. Whether... Oh, sorry, Rich. No, 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 no. You go ahead. I was. I'm just yammering on, <laughs> as I do. <laughs> Everything I'm saying is really interesting. Um, I 
what was it was I going to say oh whether or not monogamy is natural or not I kind of feel is an irrelevant question anyway and mm -hmm. people will rail against non-monogamy saying like it's not correct it's not natural humans are naturally monogamous it's just demonstrably untrue like in, in several ways <laughs> I could give you an hour-long like it's a chapter of the book I'm writing I could give you an hour-long lecture about why it's not true but basically our closest relevant uh, relatives um evolutionarily mostly non-monogamous um actually i think all non-monogamous so chimps and bonobos are yeah. non-monogamous yeah. gorillas are polygynous so they have uh harems of female partners oh, yeah, yeah. and orangutans are like fairly solitary and they have pair bonds but then they sort of go away and they like spend time apart and come back together and make a new pair bond so not monogamous and then all the other signs that human being that's that would point to human beings being monogamous like for example, having, I mean, this is maybe a bit blue. I don't know if this, I suppose it's a podcast about polyamory, so that's all right. But um, <laughs> we're, 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 we're very much R rated. So you're, you're How old am I? I've never used the phrase blue before. Um, so we're <laughs> um, so having a large penis um, relative to body size usually correlates with non monogamy. And human penises are somewhat larger than monogamous primates, but nowhere near as large as um, polygynous so it's kind of like not not one or the other we don't really know it's kind of in the middle so it's not conclusive that's one and another sign is uh concealed ovulation <laughs> and your face is a picture right i now. did not know any of this like i am absolutely go a, on it's like a biology lesson like, so, tell me, so tell me concealed ovulation go on i'm fascinated um, so no one can tell just by looking at a woman, a human woman, whether she's ovulating. And yeah. some people have theorized, this is all theory, that this facilitates monogamy because it means that men are not, males are not given enough information about the fertility of um, female females. And so um, they will end up guarding their female to make sure that they get to impregnate her. Um, but all of this is, you know, like the the only thing is like the concealed ovulation would explain serial monogamy just as much as it would explain lifelong monogamy it doesn't actually mean that you know why would that mean that you have to have one par partner for the rest of your life it only means you have one partner for one ovulation cycle or one pregnancy mm. so i mean i could yeah. go on but I, i'll stop there <laughs> because it really is becoming a biologist <laughs> omg oh no i That's mean it's all it is it is fascinating because when we whenever you're talking about this sort of thing uh science is a huge part of it you know um particularly biology so it's actually super interesting i don't think we've really had the biological discussion oh but if you want to yeah. come back for so, an hour number two at some point and do that <laughs> we'll be in touch polypole of the week this week will be do you want to have a, an hour-long lecture on the biology of non-monogamy i mean i do i do we'll stay on we'll stay on after we finish recording and you can just give it to us yeah. and we'll decide <laughs> I'm happy to come on for hour two. You know what? There really is too much here to say. Oh, yeah, so I can imagine. <laughs> but I mean, like, you know, if we sort of go back to the toxic sort of toxic that we were talking about a bit earlier, um, I mean, there are so many jokes about the ball and chain, you know, people being openly disparaging their spouses and joking about being in an unhappy marriage, yeah, right? So like weird. that is just a fixture of society, you know, like, yeah. and just it's, it's accepted, it's funny and... I mean, well, it's not funny, but well, no, sorry, I should have said it's accepted <laughs> as, as funny. funny. Yeah, yeah. And um, but what are some of the problems with normalizing these kinds of experiences? Like, what are what are some of the issues there? Mm -hmm. Well, 
relationships should not feel like a trap or a prison. I mean, I feel like that should go without saying, but well, they shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, you're not actually <laughs> supposed to resent your partner. Uh, you oh, you can have relationships where you like each other and you continue to like each other for the whole relationship. Oh, it's yes. not an inevitability that you'll grow to resent each other and just be like, right. well, come this far so might as well what a wild concept (laughs) but it's true though there is this almost this acceptance that like we're gonna be young and fun and then we're gonna get older and we're just gonna probably hate each other so we better have a big house and we've got separate wings sort of it's why it's extra cute when you see two old people still holding hands yeah because you're like oh look at them they don't resent each other (laughs) they don't hate each other how lovely um they're not absolutely physically repulsed by each other yet that's wonderful um (laughs) so um yeah i think the problem is that it it encourages a couple of things i think this this idea that you the, the normalizing that you'll grow to resent your partner and that you should just stay in the unhappy relationship regardless um it makes people complacent you know, they stop working on themselves, on maintaining the relationship, because the norm is that you grow to resent each other. So why would you put effort into not letting that happen if it's normal? Um, and the other thing is that it gets people to just accept their fate. You know, they'll be really unhappy in a relationship and um, and not do anything about that. And I feel like that's just a shame because I happen to believe we only have one life and I, I think we should try and make it good, really. Yes. Ideally, yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, to make uh, it good, um, there are certain needs that, um, that every person would ideally like to have fulfilled. But um, something that's particularly interesting and, and is like another aspect of toxic monogamy is the idea that your romantic partner is your everything. Uh, everything in kind of, quote, you know, quotation marks. Um so like the, the idea that in romance one person should meet all of our needs uh, but when this is applied to other areas of life we aren't really expected to have one friend or one work colleague or or one family member um how do you think that limits people's ability to experience love in a you know in a way that's authentic to them i guess well i think as we've said that not having enough information means that you are restricted in the amount that you can choose what you want you know if i don't know that it's possible to go out and buy chips i'm never going to go and buy chips because i don't know that i can do that i'm just giving a random silly example i'll go and buy apples instead and that might be lovely but sometimes you want chips so um (laughs) i think you know just having this information means that people who are more inclined towards some form of non-monogamy will know that that's an option and will be open to that. I think also, I think having somebody be your everything is kind of considered a status symbol. Um, You know, imagine the amount of power and influence you would need to have over someone for them to be utterly devoted to you, for you to be the center of their universe, um, their one and only the only person they ever look at of course darling I've never looked at another person I've never been attracted to anyone else in our whole 40-year marriage you know imagine the amount of influence and power you'd have to have to be that sort of person and so I think when we say that your partner should be your everything it's normalizing this drive to seek supremacy over others and Mm -hmm. I feel that you know it's actually really healthy for monogamous people too 
to have many people in your life who are important. That doesn't mean you have to want to have sex with them or be romantic with them, but all of them can be important. All of them will fulfill different sides of you, mirror different parts of you. And, um, you know, a society which rewards power and supremacy does reward the type of thinking, like, you know, being someone's everything and getting someone to be your everything. I think it also um, normalizes uh, codependence in relationships. So um, I feel like I should just explain codependence yeah, in case it's... Go forth. You know what? Yeah, just go. Just go. <laughs> oh, there'll be lots of giggles in this one. It's nice. Yeah. Um, codependence is when you enable each other to continue harmful behavior. So when you normalize the idea that someone needs to be your everything, then that means, and that, that means also that by extension, you need to be their everything. It means you need to be needed by your partner. You need to be absolutely essential to them. And I think as soon as we enter adult to adult relationships where we feel that the other person is absolutely essential to us, we cannot live without them. That is like extremely ripe ground for codependent behavior mm. because then it removes the need to keep working on yourself, on your own sense of security, of being valid, of being um, worthy. And instead, what toxic monogamy does is hands you a neat little solution to that. You know, what you can do is get into a relationship where somebody idolizes you, lies to you about having any interest in anyone else and wants you to be their everything. And then you can feel good and worthy. And so that removes your incentive to work on that yourself. So that's the harmful behavior I'd say it enables. Yeah. I mean, that I like what you've just described is what my experience was when we opened our relationship, I realized all my insecurities were the same. And that actually I call it like my term, I don't know whether I've made this up, is like my like a monogamy, it's like the monogamy band-aid almost, where like I that's what I kind of just call it colloquially around the house, where it's like I wasn't I was using this as as monogamy in those relationships as like my sole point of validation. And that's what I was getting all of my worth and self-worth and my, um, like and my enoughness from. And then when that structure was no longer there, because like I chose to stay with Richard and I wanted to explore this new relationship with him, I was like, oh, hang on. That's like a band-aid that's been like everything's been festering under the surface, but this was just enough to keep me going along with what whatever I was re I really know what I was doing but just kind of existing in these relationships um so I think you've explained that really like that's like I relate to that but I just think it's mm. really interesting to have it explained in that way um yeah. so interesting yeah and the other thing I find really interesting is when you talk about uh you know effectively lying to your partner and saying that you know oh, I don't I, I don't no one catches my eye only you and it's kind of like, well, for me, one of the biggest things, I mean, we've talked about cheating within non-monogamous relationships on the podcast before and that it is a thing and it can happen. And a lot of that is deception based and, and how it's 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 more the deceptive uh, aspect of it that that is why it's bad. Right. Rather than the physical aspect or, or even the emotional aspect. And so it, I find it really interesting because they're, they they're not. Like within that toxic monogamy scenario, uh, they are perfectly, you know, they're willing to 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 
put aside any other potential um what's the word temptations <laughs> um <laughs> but they are also willing to deceive their partner in in and maybe themselves to a certain degree by saying that i was gonna you know, say probably they're probably also like, definitely themselves yeah, yeah. They're, they're saying oh i'm not trying to do like okay so you've you've never looked at anyone else ever since like you just turned that switch off right that is a completely natural human behavior um and i just find that fu- that quite that crazy to be honest it's just like yeah i'm willing to deceive my partner but i'm not willing to um to even entertain the idea that non-monogamy is okay isn't is, is an okay thing to to do mm. you know yeah. I mean, attraction is such a natural human drive and people experience it to different extents, of yeah. course. Um, and to deny that you're even experiencing it, is, it just seems pointless to me because, you know, you can experience attraction but have no intention of acting on it. Yeah. You know, like I see Sophia Hadid, is that her name? Like this most, like one of the most beautiful women in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, she is very attractive. Do I intend to like slip into her DMs and try and start a relationship with her? No, I don't. Um, and even <laughs> if I saw her in the street right now, probably wouldn't have the capacity right now to date someone new. So, you know, attraction does not mean intention. And to try and shield your partner from that feels very much like you're saying they don't have the capacity to handle the truth. And I find that very um, infantilizing and just really it's it's not something that it's again codependent it's not innate it's enabling people to avoid facing insecurities rather than um, issuing them with a helpful challenge you know to face those insecurities so that they can grow mm. through that mm. because I mean I wanted to say that <clears throat> even I as someone who does identify as polyamorous by orientation did used to use monogamy as um as a band-aid what did you call it Siobhan it was the monogamy band-aid yeah like it kind of yeah yes and that's because you know I was a polyamorous by orientation not knowing I was but also (laughs) insecure with low self-esteem so you know and like and and by um working on my self-esteem separate from my relationships therapy and things like that um I feel that I've grown as a person. I have like a much more peaceful and fulfilling life. And I feel that it was definitely a good thing to uh, expose myself to things which might potentially make me insecure. And I definitely used monogamous relationships, that exclusivity as a measure of my worth in the past. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I yes. think even I'm probably guilty of that in the past. Yeah. I mean, well. <laughs> yeah, I just think, I think, as we said earlier, the structures you grow up in, like, yeah. of course, that, that's going to be a thing, I feel. Um, and I think another sort of element to what we're what we're talking about here with this sort of um, almost like you kind of mentioned before this idea of supremacy and like how you've got this hold over this one person that you know they're infatuated with you and I feel like by you know by association we can also talk about a little bit how um, some toxic monogamy can perpetuate this idea that a partner is like your possession like even in traditional marriage vows if you go way back like it says to have and to hold like and that indicates ownership obviously it was like about the woman being owned like women were literally seen as a property of men and this was a transactional and a financial thing you know mostly but we also hear more modern iterations of this idea when people say, like, I couldn't share my partner. Like, I don't know how you share Richard is something I hear really <laughs> commonly. So i just like to hear your thoughts on how these sorts of ideas can also perpetuate um, 
how people or partners in toxic monogamous um, ideals can be, um, people can be seen as possessions and, and what you think on that. Yeah, I definitely feel like it's related to capitalistic ideas, you know, making people a scarce resource by saying you can only have one partner and then you feel more anxious about holding on to them. Um, and we have all these phrases as well, like I'm taken, I'm off the market. I mean, how is that like not a, <laughs> a, a very overtly, transparently capitalistic phrase to say I'm off the market as if you're something that can purchase. <laughs> so true. <laughs> tied down um, is another interesting one. Yeah, they're yeah, tied I'm, down. Yeah. I'm spoken I'm for. Oh God. I, mean, yeah, I hate like, that one, but you know, like Yeah, because it literally is like it literally means the man like is speaking for me now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm spoken for, but Oh my god. Yes. And before I was a coach, uh, for about ten years I worked as an English language teacher. So I'm a bit of a language nerd and like I'm noticing how all of those phrases are passive, spoken for, tied down. Someone else is doing those things for you. It's very disempowering. Yeah. So treating partners as possessions. It's just creating a, first, a, a very, a, very uh, a situation where it's very easy to coerce and abuse people as well. Um, yeah. So, you know, if you if you wear someone down to the point where they feel like their decisions are no longer their own, I'm not I'm absolutely not saying, by the way, that all monogamous relationships are this way. But when it becomes toxic, when absolutely. people by this, then it makes people a target for coercion and mm. abuse. Um, so and I just also feel like it's really arbitrary the way we we delineate what's okay for our partners to do and what's not uh so it's like it's totally okay for my partner to go and have a hug with their friend it's okay for my partner to be half naked in a swimming pool but their genitals and their secondary sexual organs like they are off the table only i may touch those and it's like <laughs> and it's just it feels really arbitrary when you put it that way yeah but it like one of these things that's so normalized that it's invisible that people are like of course of course that's just how it is but you know i'm just asking why <laughs> Why, yeah. why is that how it is and does it have to be that way yeah 100% yeah and then and then to by by extension of uh, of that or an extension of that rather is uh not just the physical but but like not like this expectation that um for example uh you know finances should be combined even and possessions become ours rather than you know just you almost don't have any of your own singular possessions anymore but particularly finances like it's an expectation that truly committed in in, in commas again mm. um couples uh combine like every element of their lives uh, including finances so why is that assumption why do you think it can be harmful well, uh, speaking as a solo polyamorous person, so I, as you've covered on your podcast, I don't intend to merge finances, I don't intend to live with somebody, I don't get, tend to get married, so any kind of enmeshment in that sort of legal or practical sense is off the table for me. The reason why I arrived at that decision for myself was that I saw how being in a relationship where there was enmeshment um, just made it so difficult to look at the relationship objectively and think about where whether it was actually serving me or, or was actually pretty harmful and as it turned out for that relationship it was pretty harmful um so when that relationship ended i mean thank god my partner broke up with me and released me <laughs> from that situation um, <laughs> i don't know if i would have because i was you know living under his roof mm -hmm. i was unemployed at the time i just lost my job um and so you know i was i never would have made that decision right. it wasn't financially mm -hmm 
you know, uh, sound decision to make at the time. Um, so I couldn't see the situation for what it was. When that relationship ended, I realized I don't ever want to be in a situation where I'm trapped because of practical things. And, um, you know, perhaps the person that I am now, you know, much more financially independent, much more uh, secure in myself, I would not be so trapped. But I feel that a lot of people do end up in situations like that where they don't have adequate res resource to support to mental health uh, services. And so they do end up, you know, particularly women are disproportionately affected by this becoming financially trapped in unhelp unhelpful or even harmful situations. Mm. I mean, absolutely. And uh, it's like the whole sort of combining finances, again, is quite, as you mentioned in your last answer, it's quite an arbitrary sort of thing that maybe was necessary, like back in the day, sure. Like, but it's not necessarily something that um, you have to do now. And I mean, I am certainly guilty of being caught on you know this relationship escalator uh especially in this relationship with Richard where I was looking around and all of my friends are getting engaged and they're all moving in together and they're all like opening joint bank accounts and I feel like that is so easily interpreted as a quote-unquote successful relationship when you're doing all these things so I was like oh well in my own mind I was like well if Richard and I are successful then that means that we have to do all these things and yeah. if he's going to this is before we opened our relationship as well and I really rethought all of these assumptions but earlier I was like if he's if we're going to be together and he really is keen to be with me and he wants to show how committed he is he we're going to do all these things and and that's actually like the, how committed you are and do you doing all these things on the relationship escalator are actually in no way connected and it just took me a really long time to get to that you know yeah it's like it goes back to what you said earlier like with uh <clears throat> you know it not necessarily being completely consensual like the relationship escal escalator is the blueprint that we're all provided with mm -hmm. and then we're not given any other any other and um so that so that it's very easy to fall into that trap i suppose isn't it of like oh, this is how it's always done, so mm -hmm. I don't have the choice, really. Yeah, That is the only successful way. And, of course, we have unlearned that. Yes. <laughs> and if you could prove to me that you're committed by signing legal contracts or limiting yourself in some way, you know, making... And, and I'm not using limiting in a necessarily negative way, but, you know, um, mm -hmm. you know... Uh, sorry uh, i've lost my train of thought um, but uh, if you can uh, if That's you can get I can, yeah. <laughs> um if you can get somebody to demonstrate their commitment through um these external things like you know getting a joint bank account or getting married then yeah. perhaps you're not looking at the quality of the relationship to show you whether or not they are committed to you um and i do think that that is far more important than any piece of paper that you'll sign or any bank account that you'll open yeah 100% yeah, and I mean, you mentioned earlier about not wanting to live with someone. I mean, that's another assumption, you know. And I remember and, uh, Helena Bonham Carter and Tim Burton at the time were like super famous because they were doing this a crazy thing where they, they were married, weren't they? And they were yeah. living in separate yeah. houses. And I understand that like <clears throat> these also are incredibly well-off people financially so they can afford to do that. Like that's not everyone's position. So maybe there are some people who would love to do that and simply can't afford it. Um, so I'm not necessarily commenting on that financially. I'm more just commenting on the wider idea 
that it's so it was such a public we still talk about it it's in like almost every non-monogamy book out there like people mention it <laughs> if you're talking about commitment because it was such a wild thing to do um when i feel like if people could do it or had that option or it was more widely spoken about we might find that is more common what what do you think about that Mm. Yeah, I absolutely believe that human beings are made to be in community with each other. You know, we're designed to be interdependent and all the research, you know, corroborates this, that, you know, human, it's good for our well-being and literally will make you live longer to have good quality connections. Does that mean you need to be living under the same roof? No, it doesn't. So, you know, there are many benefits to living alone that I find, you know, I have a lot of sensory sensitivities so I can control my environment and um, people who are uh, highly sensitive people or neurodivergent may resonate with that. Um, I'm an introvert, so I need space to recharge my my batteries. And I also need space to be creative. Like I need time alone to be able to think about stuff and, you know, generate the writing, which you mentioned earlier. And then, you know, so that's like on a personal level, how it can benefit people, but also it benefits the relationships and the relationship, sorry, in some ways. Um, I totally think you can live together and have like independent lives where you're you have a rich life and you do lots of different things but um a lot of people do fall into a trap of just passively spending time together no longer making an effort to um to date their partner and to treat them as someone that they are putting uh, time and effort into um so once you're living together it can become quite normal to just um, spend time together in a way that's not structured or intentional mm. so I think that can be a, a risk of being overly familiar or, or normalizing that living together is just that's just how it is and you know there's a there's a famous phrase absence makes the heart grow fonder <laughs> I was literally thinking of that too I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking that phrase in and of itself con it, it contradicts the assumption that we must live together it's like well maybe we should not live always live together all of the time or not spend all of our time with each other because mm -hmm. the time apart I you know I know if I feel this way after a, even just a day away from Siobhan like I'm more I'm probably more excited to see her because <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm like I've had a rest from her <laughs> no uh, I'm no it's more it's more just you just appreciate that time you know? yeah and the excitement of when you do have the like because we live together the apartment to yourself Oh, like yeah, I love it I, it's absolutely brilliant <laughs> and there's nothing and I think sometimes people think oh why are you so excited that your partner's out like you know what are you gonna do and I'm like yeah. uh I have so much that I could get around well I mean if if our reel is to be believed we you jump on the bed yeah just hang out <laughs> like just fully spread out and that's really nice yeah. and yeah, I mean, before we get into our finish our game, is there anything you kind of want to add or some point that you were wanting to make that we didn't cover in this conversation? Mm. On the on the topic of um, living together with a partner, I would love to live close to my partners to be for it to be easy to see them. Totally, but to have that space that I can retreat to. I know it's a privilege, um, but also I do live on a boat, so it's a cheap privilege relatively. I mean, I can't afford a flat in London. That's not possible for me. Um, so, But I found a creative solution to live on my own yeah. in a way that's affordable. Um, yeah, I feel like that would be ideal to have that space to retreat to that is important for my um, sense of like being grounded and my, my well-being, and then still have other people accessible. Um, 
I, I don't see why that should mean anything negative about the quality of my relationships. I'm just picturing uh, get like a tropical island, but you have your own little cave in the corner. You know, <laughs> everyone has their own little caves. You can visit each other's caves, but ultimately it's your cave. Um, shall we get into the game? Instead no. of you just okay, rattling along. <laughs> <laughs> I liked my analogy. <laughs> oh my and I think Ro did too. I think Ro did too. I think I was... I it's was, just you. You're the one out. Yes, Go I away. am. I am the <laughs> one out. <laughs> Go back no, to your cave. It never does to you. It just, you know, it destroys relationships. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, funny. Yes, game. Okay, g- game. It's game. called Polyquest. Polyquest returns again uh, this this time, fellow it works listeners. Best for guests. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? Yeah, we yeah. like it. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're going to ask you three short to medium fire questions. Take as long as you like answering them. There is no rush. Um, Richard, would you like to start us off? No, I want you. Oh. I want you to start. Us okay. Off. Question one: <laughs> What is your favourite thing about being non-monogamous? That it allows me to be the fullest expression of myself. That would be mine too. Yeah, it would be. We're not going to comment on all of your answers, but you know. Um, okay, question two. One piece of advice for non-monogamous folk. No matter where they are, it doesn't matter. It could be new, new people that are new to the idea, or it could be... It could be, it could be us. <laughs> Figure out why you're doing it. Because if you know why you're doing something, no matter what people say to you, no matter what ignorant nonsense they hit you with, you will know in your heart that this is the right thing for you to be doing. I like that. That's mm, good. That's really good. That's good. And like we're like, oh, yes, that, that mm, qualified mm. coach. We're like, yes, that's good. Mm, yes. For this for a living. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Apt. Apt. <laughs> like we have <laughs> any like. Um, and the final question. Could you please? <laughs> Just a quick switch back. <laughs> it's supposed to be. It's it short is to, to be. medium well, fire. Short to medium, but so we need to leave gaps. <laughs> Final question, please. For you to ignore me. <laughs> um, could you please describe <clears throat> your non-monogamous experience in three words? This is the hardest question and the yes, final one. I always find these so difficult. Um, gosh. And you've got okay. ten seconds. <laughs> ten. <laughs> Before the trap door opens. Yes, yeah. and then that's it. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's Was the end of the part of our guest this week. Yeah. So three words to describe yes. my non-monogamous experience. Yes. Uh, are hyphenated words one word? Oh, I've never had this question uh, before. I'm going to say yes. Yeah, well, that would... Uh, yes, yeah. hyphenated words are one word. Yes, yeah. that's about... Of course, now that we know you're the context of your English uh, background and your teaching background, like what an informed question that is. Yeah. <laughs> yes, hyphenated well, can be one word. Are there any multi, multi-hyphenates? Because um, you're, you're not... You can only, here you and have... now is one of them. Here and now is the three-word hyphenate. Okay, right. So I'm going to put a limit. On, can it be single hyphen? <laughs> like you can't use here and now. <laughs> yeah, well, here and now is not an adjective either. It's like, well, it's it. Yeah, well, it, it doesn't is, matter. It can just be three words. Know. It doesn't have to be an adjective. It can be. It's just yeah. three words. I'm getting too nerdy about it. Now. I love it. I'm obsessed. This is going to be the longest. <laughs> the longest this is a long fire the, question. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so the reason why I asked about hyphenates is because I wanted to say life affirming. Oh yeah, that's um, fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. So life affirming, 
growth promoting, that's another hyphenated word. And God, I get so stymied by these kinds of questions because then I'm like, I have to choose the right answer. And so I, <laughs> I need to just let myself off the hook and just say what came to mind first, which was fun. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Well, you know, it, the, yeah, yeah, the, answer, fantastic. Yeah. the answers to these questions they're fairly, they're fluid just like everything else in life oh yeah absolutely. like if we asked you in two weeks time you might have a different answer but the point is we <laughs> captured it today what it was today yeah on this day in 2023 um okay um <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us and spending your time with us we'd love you to please tell our listeners where they can find you so uh, my my platforms, I guess, are um, Instagram. On Instagram, I'm unapologetically spelled like the normal word, but with poly um, instead of polo. Um, and then on Twitter, I'm unapologetic because they don't allow longer usernames than that. Um, so that that's unfortunate. I think on Facebook, I'm also unapologetically. And um, if you go to any of these um social media platforms you'll see a link to my calendar where you can access my coaching services um and then I also just wanted to say that you know I'm writing a book about the very topic that we talked about today so if anyone is interested in publishing much my, my book which if I say so myself is shaping up very nicely yes. please get in touch <laughs> with serendipity lit uh, and they can give you some more information about that. Perfect we'll nice. definitely we'll have all of that information in the show notes as well so um but I mean, that's a book. I mean, I've been talking about it for an hour, but that's certainly something that I would love to read. So, please follow us on social media. Uh, we're at, at Polly underscore podcast on both Instagram and Twitter. And you can find us at our website, the-poly-podcast.captivate.fm. And, of course, you can email us, as always, at podcastthepoly at gmail.com. And we will see you next time. Yeah, but well, we will. Row ro won't, though. Just us two. Just time. us two. Yeah, just row. us two. So, so I'll be so. disappointed I'm happy to that. come back whenever you want. So, you know, Yay! Like, <laughs> we'll, we'll be in touch. Um, <laughs> no, it's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot, guys. Okay, bye. Bye. bye.